For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We are about to break the sterly bonds of gravity and punch the face of God. I wish I was a little bit Left taller. Jab Productions present Edge of Sports bit. Radio, where sports like and that. politics collide. And now your host, Dave Zarn. The Schmada Kid. Boom! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. I'm Dave Zirin. Very special edition of Edge of Sports this week. Uh, joined by Doug in the producer's chair, not by Dan, because we had to do this off hour, and you'll find out why in a second. So glad, though, still joined by the coach, Kevin McNutt. How you doing, coach? All well, Dave. All well. Our guest this week, and it is only one guest, and he is live with us in studio, is former NBA player Royce White. Royce White, of course, was an All-American at Iowa State, 16th selection of the 2012 NBA draft by the Houston Rockets. First person in Iowa State Cyclone history to lead the team in points, steals, rebounds, blocks, and assists in one season. That's just bananas to me. But White made news, not just news in the NBA, but news news, by refusing to play unless his concerns about the NBA's and the Houston Rockets' mental health policies were addressed. Now, Royce White got in touch with us at Edge of Sports and asked to talk after a long story appeared over this past week about the decision by budding NBA star Larry Sanders. You know him well, Coach. Larry mm-hmm. Sanders, Milwaukee Bucks. Mm-hmm. Someone people predicted to make the leap, become an all-star. Mm-hmm. Big contract, everything. Larry Sanders, future so bright, got to wear shades. Larry Sanders made the decision that he wanted to walk away from the NBA, walk away from a contract that was due to pay him another 20 or so million dollars, yep. walk away from all of it, because he believed that the depression and anxiety that he was suffering through was not something that could be addressed while being an active NBA player. Like Larry Sanders made his own statement to a website, the Players' Tribune, about why he was doing this. And then there was another very long article in ESPN about Larry Sanders and the issue of how the NBA now handles mental health. It's very interesting because Larry Sanders... Unlike Royce White, was not asking the NBA to actually make the league accommodating for people dealing with mental wellness issues. Larry Sanders just said, I'm out. Maybe I'll come back. Maybe I won't. And because he's not in the league, because he's not making the kinds of demands that Royce White was making, I really need to unwrap this. There's only one person to do it with. It's Royce White. We're going to talk to him after the break. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin will return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. We are back here in Edge of Sports. 
Sports Radio, as promised, live in studio. Former NBA player, former All-American, person who made national news by standing up for the issue of mental wellness while an NBA player. Here to talk to us about Larry Sanders and what the NBA has learned or not learned. His name is Royce White. Royce, thanks so much for joining us in studio. Thanks for having me, Dave. Always a pleasure. No, happy to. So let's just start it off with this. Uh, Your reaction, just your gut reaction, before you read any of the coverage, on hearing that Larry Sanders openly, even happily, said he was going to walk away from the NBA, leave millions of dollars on the table to deal with his mental wellness. There's a lot of sympathy there, Um, especially dealing with anxiety myself. Um, Not so much depression, but often the two intersect. Um, There was definitely sympathy, and uh, I think that from the lens of being a mental health advocate and the discussion of mental health, anytime somebody discloses the struggles that they have with conditions is a leap forward for the topic of mental health. And as I moved more away from the game and more into the area of being an advocate, um, you know, that, that, that does so much for where we're going in this country in terms of mental health. So anytime someone is public, it moves the needle forward in terms anytime. of understanding. In any way, in yes. any way, because the, there's, it's just so taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's so hushed, the mental health conversation. Every time somebody discusses it, it's leaps and bounds forward for, for all of us. So based on the coverage you've seen on the on the official comments by people like Bucks coach Jason Kidd, team management, uh, Adam Silver, what is your gut reaction, your flash reaction to how the NBA has responded to Sanders' decision? I think that it's both ways. Um, I think there's some bright side to it, um, and there's some dark side to it. Um, you know, the bright side is, like I said, the 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 talk will bring about solution. Um, and I think that right now they're getting a crash course in just how complex when these situations can get when the support system isn't there and the and the policy isn't there to support players with these type of conditions and you have a player that essentially says I'm walking away because it's too much and they still have to pay him right Uh, and that bottom line is definitely going to heighten senses of of what we're going to do next Um, at the same time Larry is walking away from the game and if he was to be staying in the game, there would be a whole different conversation that's going to take place. Well, you've lived that. How would the conversation be different if he was making the decision to stay and just said things like, I want my uh, mental wellness to be factored into uh, what road games I play. This probably sounds very familiar to you. When I travel, when I don't, uh, how many minutes I play. How then does the discussion, how do you think then the discussion changes? Well, I think there'd be much more resistance. Um, I think it's easy for everybody to say mental health is important um, when a player, when the player who's dealing with the mental health condition is is moving away. Um, but the action that needs to be taken isn't still on, isn't still on you, isn't still on your lap, and that accountability that's going to need to be taken. Um, and you know, it, it, it there'd be a lot more resistance. I think mm-hmm. if he was to be staying in the game um, and, and being around. Now, as a mental health advocate, this is a question that I, I've wanted to ask you as much as any of the ones that I, that I prepared today. 
Um, in reading a story about the Bucks and their response, the Bucks were front and center touting about how they had a quote-unquote team psychologist. And the team psychologist would even wear warm-ups and be out on the court. And they said that they were doing this to demystify it and make it like you're just another person on the staff. You're the team psychologist for mental health. And my first thoughts were two, di- were two different questions that I want to throw at you. The first, doesn't, is this healthy to have your psychologist be in the employ of your employer? That seems really, really off to me. It's one thing if the team is referring players to mental health professionals, but to actually employ someone who's connected to your boss, that seems really screwed up to me, one. And two, as a psychologist, you can't prescribe drugs. And so often, this is a pharmacological pharmacological discussion, Mm -hmm. psychopharmacological discussion. And so is that a problem that it's a psychologist, not a psychiatrist? And is it a problem that we're talking about somebody who's actually employed by the team? Or am I overreacting? No, I think you're you're right on target there. Um, The conflict of interest is definitely present, I think, when the psychologist is directly employed. I think if you're going to be employing a psychologist, it should be in the format of giving the team personnel that isn't the players or maybe even the players workshops on on sensitivity to mental health in the workplace um, versus you telling them how to do their job in regards to the players. Mm. Um, I think the the you know, the risk for conflict of interest there is is way too great. Um, And that's something that I, you know, I talked about back in 2012 was uh, you know, independent doctors are what's needed to make sure that the the interest stays solely in health and what's the healthiest choice, not what's the healthiest choice and can make him be the most productive basketball player because sometimes those might not intersect. I have a good friend whose dream was to become a, a team psychologist, and as she started going through the paces, she said she felt like what she was being asked to do was to deal much more with things like performance, like how do you calm down at the free throw line, how do you maximize your potential on the court instead of actually mental wellness. Is that something that's out there too in your experience? I think, you know, one of the things that's tough about the mental health discussion is there's people all over the spectrum. Um, And I think the NBA would do a great job to first acknowledge the importance of mental health and then be able to sift through how do we navigate getting better? Right. And and there's 30 individual clubs and, you know, they'll all do what they think is best. But acknowledging mental health first is where it begins. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of different information out there. Um, and, and the sports psychology thing, I think, has some validity to it as well. Um, but the mental health discussion definitely supersedes the sports psychology discussion and some of the underlying reasons why guys might be nervous at the free throw line or throwing up before games or or harping on the results of a game has a lot to do with some mental health um, aspects. Right. It could be interconnected. Yeah. It, it's so it, it's so fascinating and the stakes are so high because you're dealing with somebody's mind. You're dealing with also someone who's got t- millions of dollars invested in them and is to some degree viewed as a as an investment, a piece of property and is thingified. By management, and that gets to my next question because one of the things I wanted to do with you on this show is totally break down this ESPN article that came out about Sanders, which revealed a lot about how the NBA views mental health. But as you said before, let me correct myself. 
you can't even use that phrase, how the NBA views mental health, because the NBA does not even have a league-wide philosophy mm. on mental health or position. So it's almost like how the NBA's view mental health, because it's utterly decentralized. Um, in the Sanders article, there's an owner who's quoted saying about a player dealing with depression, recent free agent signee, uh, an executive goes to the owner and said he's dealing with these issues. And the owner said, quote, I just gave him $30 million worth of mental health. Does that surprise you? Um, it doesn't surprise me. Um, if I take you back to, to 2012 when I advocated strongly for there to be a policy in the, in the NBA or an improvement of the policy that already stands, um, th there was an article that was written where uh, a GM said that he didn't think I was good enough to have my own set of guidelines as a player regarding mental health. And the writer was Adrian Wojnarowski. And later in the article, he said other NBA owners and GMs feel that way. Also, um, I think that with that type of comment and the one that was said in the Larry Sanders article, um, it's not surprising at all. Um, I think it's scary, though. Mm. It's, it's really scary, especially as a player. Yeah, it, it, it has to be scary to also think that your mental health is going to be privileged based on where you are in the pecking order on the team itself. I mean, can you imagine if they did that for physical injuries? Like, oh, you tore your ACL, but you're coming off the bench. Therefore, we're going to give you a splint and a, and a cup of Kool-Aid yeah. and a Percocet. I but think you get surgery if you're a top player. Yeah, I think the idea that, you know, it, it just shows that a lot of the owners or management have a, a very disconnected sense of what it means to properly support mental health. That's true. We got to go to break right now. We've just started. We'll be back after this with Royce White. One, two, don't One, two, move. Three, Dave Zirin will be right back with more Edge of Sports Radio. You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We're back here on Edge of Sports Radio with the coach, Kevin McNutt. How you doing, coach? And with Royce White. Royce, thanks so much again for joining us live in studio. Highly appreciated. Uh, you said something in the break that I think is worth repeating and worth discussing. Um, I, that quote from the owner saying about a player dealing with depression, quote, I just gave him $30 million worth of mental health. Your reaction to that? I was shocked. Um, you said it was Donald Sterling-esque, though. Yeah, very, very Donald Sterling-esque. I think it, it shows a, uh, an, an ideology that the compensation that we get is enough of an effort on the part of an owner um, to deal with anything else that we may encounter as a player. And I think what's even more telling of that is that you have a general manager, somebody who the owner's entrusted to come to him with what's best for the team, who's asking to implement a system of mental health mm -hmm. for the player, and the owner's rejecting him. Um, and, and I think that that's very different than what I stated about the quote from a GM in the Wojnarowski article on me was that the GM was basically saying, I would have cut him already. Mm -hmm. Well, it shows that there's not a, a linear ideology in the NBA about how to deal with mental health, and which is also why I advocated so strongly for there to be a league-wide policy, because it wasn't just about me and the Houston Rockets. What if I got traded like I did to the Sixers, and now my new owner thinks that my yearly salary is my mental health support? Um, that's 
outrageous. Yeah, and the thing that's also outrageous to me is that let's pretend for a second there was a, a blind quote, an anonymous quote of an owner saying, that player is my $30 million slave. There would be pressure to find out who that owner was and to exact, in the post-Donald Sterling world, and find out exactly how that owner could be pushed out of the NBA. Yet with this, that quote appears and nobody blinks. The union doesn't blink. Players don't blink. This conversation we're having about it right now and relating it to Donald Sterling is the first I've even heard of that. Yeah, well, the union's going to blink because I'm going to make sure that they blink. You know, mm-hmm. I'm in the union's ear all week, every week, all month um, about mental health since the day I got in the league. And, you know, comments like that and, and articles like this um, sometimes go unnoticed um, and they don't get the gravity that they should. But the first thing that happened when I read this article, that comment stuck out to me more than anything else in the article. Exactly. Besides the fact that the idea that there are GMs that feel that mental health isn't being um, supported in the way that it possibly could be in the league. Mm-hmm. That that comment was the whole article to me. And um, and, and what's so sad to me is that if the owner that said that just knew a little bit more about mental health and what it means to support, he would know that it's not a money thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes, like is said later on in the Larry Sanders article, the the drug abuse policy in the NBA being more punitive than rehabilitative mm-hmm. is part of what we're talking about here. Is that it's not the money, it's the policy and the power and the and the power. And I think that. You know, it's just an education process that needs to happen. But um, ideas like that can't be allowed if we're going to have the progress we, we want to have in terms of mental health and in sports. You know, I agree with you that the uh, $30 million of mental health is the ugliest comment in the article. But to me, it wasn't the most troubling. And I want to read you a couple of quotes that I found even more troubling. It was people tr- – there were, um, once again, anonymous quotes from agents – who were trying to sound like they were sympathetic on mental health issues and slamming Larry Sanders for walking away and saying things like, quote, uh, I have a real fear that teams will stop negotiating those mental health protections in the future uh, because he went for the buyout. And another person said, quote, this is an important issue, but Larry is not the person to be the public face of it. He says all the right things. Now he has no credibility because he went for the buyout. You have to ask, does he sincerely want treatment or just to be left to do whatever he wants? Like that kind of like highly judgmental approach to how someone is dealing with anxiety and depression. What's your what's your response to that? The first thing I thought when I read that comment was I pray to God that that's not somebody who Larry has been leaning on yeah. for support because the number one thing you do not do when attempting to support somebody with a mental health condition is not believe them. Mm-hmm. If they say I'm dealing with depression or anxiety or I'm having suicidal ideation or whatever it is, you don't not believe them. You believe them. As far as him not being the public face of it, I think that that's neither here nor there. Right. Um, I think that, uh, if teams are going to not encounter a situation like this again or not encounter a situation like mine was back in 2012 or the other hundreds of situations we know of of players having mental health conditions or getting in trouble or whatever it is that they're dealing with that is considered sometimes off-court issues but have 
mental health stems, um, ideas like that can't be allowed either. Um, right. You know, him being the public face is, is not really a, even a factor. Right. It, it, it's a, the most bizarre formulation. Like, to me, it's like this has to be like a marketing person or an agent person talking because it's like it robs him of his humanity. Yeah. It's like I don't care about who's the public face of mental health. I want to see if he is getting the help that he is seeking. Yeah. It's just a, it's a bizarre formulation. Yeah. So I want to read you a quote, if I could. Uh, this quote is from Larry Sanders. He said, quote, it's hard for people in my field to respect mental health. We say that the game is 90% mental, but mental health doesn't get the respect of, like, an ACL. The game is 90% mental, but we're going to ignore your mental health. Mm. Now, Larry Sanders said that, and I thought to myself, that sounds a hell of a lot like you. I mean, that sounds like a lot of the quotes that you were saying a couple of years ago. And so I was wondering... Have you been able to speak to Larry Sanders, reach out to Larry Sanders, talk to Larry Sanders? Um, I reached out to him on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, I just gave him a shout and let him know that, you know, I was sending my support to him um, because the first thing that's most important is that he is dealing with a real issue. Um, and that that should be taken into account first, you know, because he's, he's a human being. Um, as far as, you know, what I thought about his comment, I think it's, it's 100% accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, it's common belief now, you know, that mental health is just as important, if not more important, than our physical health. Um, and sometimes the two are even connected. Uh, so I think with that idea, you know, parity is almost, you know, overdue. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there should definitely be parity between the two in the NBA and – if that doesn't happen, then we're just not doing ourselves justice. You know, the NBA isn't doing itself justice if they don't create that parity in the two. If Larry Sanders uh, had your ear and he said, Royce, did I screw this up? Should I have stayed and made them just accommodate to what I was going through? All these people are saying I was wrong just to, to, to do the buyout, um, having doubts. What would you say to him? It's tough to say. Um, I think he has to do what's best for him. He has to do what's best for him and his family and his well-being and, his, you know, his health. Um, if it was me, obviously, I would have stayed, mm-hmm. right? I think I demonstrated that. Um, because, you know, by staying, what you do is you put the onus back on the league to improve their policy and practices around mental health. Um, by him walking away, people will talk about it, but now maybe they protect against ever having to pay a player right. with the mental health you know, um, condition, um, which they'll be ineffective at, right? I mean, uh, the players will come into the league with, with mental health conditions and there's, there's going to be no way to weed them out. Um, the only thing that will happen now, if like the agent said, you know, it's, you know, the league is now anti players with mental health conditions. The only thing that will happen is players will start to hide their conditions. Right. And eventually you'll see it in other places and, and they'll call it something else like, drug uh, addiction or alcohol or he's violent or, you know, it'll come out eventually. And, and that's that's what we've seen up until this point. You know, I was reading a lot about Larry Sanders history. It's been interesting because it's been like a crash course for me because I had no idea where he was from, what he's been through. NBA players have a, a million different paths to get to the league. And it was fascinating to read about Larry Sanders, who's like a, a hustle defender. Um, the fact that 
you know, he grew up as both an artist and he grew up as someone in shelters, uh, grew up in a state of poverty that certainly most people in NBA arenas would have no idea what that's like. And even most NBA players, even NBA players who come up rough aren't living in shelters. And this, I, I thought about you when I read that because isn't that one of the issues that we've been talking about, you and I, the last several years, that like if you're not dealing with poverty, it's like how do you even begin to deal with mental health? Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's definitely definitely right on point to to bring up capitalism when you're talking about mental health and, and the way that we practice it in this country. Because it's not profitable to deal with the minds of poor children. Exactly. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, if you look at impoverished communities, there are high rates of of mental health conditions. Um, And I think at the end of the day, uh, when you go in and you start to deal with some of that, then the mental health improves, you know, all around. Um, And and Larry, coming from a place like that, um, there's a bunch of empathy there, you know, for for where he's come to and for him to be able to have the humility to still um, put himself first uh, is speaks volumes to to the people of where he comes from and that there is there is a need. I mean, there there's hope there for them. Um, and I think that's that's one of my you know biggest the proudest moments of the article um, was him talking about where he came from and how those people in that community have really risen up through him right for him to be able to stand up for himself and say my health is important right um and to see health and mental health as something that is inextricable one category it's incredible it's incredible and so important look we're not done with you yet if that's okay love to have one more segment much more to discuss including the question of marijuana we'll be back after this Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Okay, so get that on. Okay, so um, let's start with this. What, what's your name? Putin. Uh, where were you going? Who were you going with? Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. We're back here on Edge of Sports, joined by the coach, Kevin McNutt. And I'll tell you, Coach, I, I want to talk to Royce White right now, our guest, about what, like, spinning it forward, what the NBA should be doing, what the policy should be. But first, Royce, I wanted to ask you a couple of pretty direct questions um, that Larry Sanders said, just because you seem like, without question, the most qualified person to ask, and I don't have Larry Sanders here. And frankly, I, I don't even know if these are the best questions for Larry Sanders, but someone with a little bit of critical space. It's two questions, two things he raised that that caused me to raise my eyebrows. Uh, The first was Larry Sanders and marijuana. He'd been suspended numerous times before uh, for testing positive for marijuana. Worth noting that before the 1999 CBA, it wasn't even in the CBA to test for marijuana. And Larry Sanders, now that he's leaving the league, um, is on a full frontal attack saying like, look, this is, um, this is a marijuana is about my mental wellness. Marijuana is about how I deal with anxiety and depression. And so part, and so he was inferring that part of the reason why he was leaving was frankly, so he could smoke marijuana in peace and deal with it the way he needs to deal with it. Now the article had, um, a lot of dissenting views saying people should not think that marijuana is a 
tool to fight anxiety and depression. And I, I wanted to know your thoughts. I know you're not someone who um, imbibes as a matter of course, but that's why I think it's good to talk to you about this. But as someone who's a step removed from it, as someone who I'm sure talks to a lot of people who deal with anxiety and or depression, does marijuana have a role in dealing with this in your mind? Well, I think the first thing you have to look at when when Larry Sanders is bringing up his complaint is that marijuana or the use of marijuana is actually a symptom of anxiety and depression. It's it's actually something doctors and, and the medical field have deemed a symptom of it. Um, and there are doctors who prescribe it, of course, to deal with some of these mental health conditions. I myself have not found success with that only because the first time I ever used marijuana was my first panic attack. Um, so from there first on, first and last time, first and last type of deal. But um, there are a lot of people out there who who have found some success with it, um, and I don't think that the the science is definitive yet on on whether it's the best way to deal. Um, but I think the NBA needs to be lenient that the science isn't definitive yet as well, um, and not be slapping guys with fines. Right. Um, who are telling them that they're dealing with depression and anxiety. Again, it goes back to believing what somebody is telling you. Um, and I think there's a whole essence of like mistrust where Larry Sanders just wants to smoke weed. He's not depressed. Mm-hmm. Or Larry Sanders wants to smoke weed. He does not have an anxiety. Um, and it was the same kind of mistrust that was being thrown on me when I was saying I didn't want to fly to every game. Um, allow me to drive sometimes there was a mistrust like well well what about when you you know you just don't want to be at the shoot around the next morning so you decide to take the long drive it's like mm-hmm. you can't you can't you know operate from that lens because then a guy like Larry Sanders feels like he's not being heard and he walks away like he did and if that's the lens it's going to lead to a culture where players feel more stigmatized feel like they have to keep things more quiet feel like there's no such thing as real open honest dialogue etc cetera, etc cetera. well i think the i think the there's a glaring issue here that that i talked about back in 2012 is that if you look at the amount of incidents of marijuana or drug abuse in the nba and then you take the fact that they have little to no language on mental health in their cba mm-hmm. there has to be a correlation there exactly um and guys smoking weed um in, in, in privacy and in secrecy and trying to get around the testing is the culture right mm-hmm. now. Um, and I think that if you implement a mental health policy, a league-wide policy, um, and improve that CBA, which I'm sure they'll do now, um, some of those incidents will, will be reduced um, and, and we'll have a better, better scope of, of what we're dealing with in terms of the drug and abuse policy that should be there but it definitely shouldn't be there if there isn't a mental health policy. Right, and I want to ask you about what that policy should be. But before I do, I just had to ask you this too, because the other thing that Larry Sanders said that caught my eye was he compared himself to Dennis Rodman and Ron Artest. And what all three have in common is, is that they're both really all-world defensive players. And all three also have been open about having mental health issues. And Larry Sanders said that he believed that to actually have the the energy and, for lack of a better word, the mania to defend at an elite level at the NBA, um, it almost requires throwing your mental health to the wind. And I wanted to know what you thought 
about that as a former player? Tough to say. Tough to say. I think that if he feels that way, then we have to use what he's saying as a piece of data and moving forward and progressing in the field. Um, and obviously he is a high elite competitive athlete and he is a great defender. So we have to look at that now. Let's not shun it off. Let's just take it and, and apply it to to the motivation or, or, of, of what we're going to do going forward. But I think first that motivation has to come for us to even look at what he's saying in the right context. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, it, there is a validity to what he's saying about the correlation between mental health conditions and whether it's energy, whether you're talking about energy or hyper creativity, um, you know, those things, those correlations have been drawn before. And we see a lot of people who are hyper successful or hyper creative um, do have history of having mental health conditions. But there's also people, who, a lot of people who aren't hyper creative that have the mental health conditions as well. Um, so I think, you know, a general respect for mental health would do the league justice. Um, I don't want them to start looking at just the great defenders. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is yeah. interesting, though. Um, I, I have a sister who graduated from the Art Institute of Chicago and um, and a mom who works as a mental health counselor at the Pratt Art Institute in New York. So it is interesting how the art world has been more accepting and open to people who have mental wellness issues. And then here's basketball, which I would certainly argue is an art. And yet it's this taboo subject. And yet you would think that the same kinds of um, internal mechanisms that would attract someone to art would also attract someone to want to play basketball. Yet so less accepting. I don't have an answer for that except by talking about machismo and the man box and all the ways in which mental health health issues are derided as weak. And that and that's obviously the big boulder that we're trying to get over. I think there is a lot of a lot of machismo type of uh, ideology that's that's playing a factor. Um, but I think the NBA is getting off, and I think other professional sports leagues are getting off easy with the with the the man argument mm-hmm. that it's a man toughing it out thing. I think that's that's a scapegoat that they're using to say that this is our long-lasting ideology and, you know, don't fight us on that. I think what's really going on is that in order to support mental health or in order to genuinely move forward and progress in the area of mental health, there's a real level of accountability that exists. And that accountability isn't just a number thing. It's me really having to know you and, and be in touch with the humanity between two people. Um, for example, with me, if you know how I have anxiety, the way you operate now, the way your decisions, everything is impacted. And we live in a world where people want to be less accountable. Right. You know, they don't want to be more accountable. And I think that in the NBA, that, that heightened level of accountability to players with mental health conditions has a financial implication. They, and that's what they're afraid of. So let's talk about that, those financial implications. If you were in charge of negotiating the CBA with the NBA, if Michelle Roberts brought you in and said, I want you to sit next to me at the table, what should the players be pushing for when it comes to mental health and the collective bargaining agreement? I think they should be pushing for independent doctors or third-party doctors that aren't employed by the league. Um, I think that would give it the cleanest, you know, the process in, in dealing with players with mental health conditions, the cleanest um, results. Um, what they'll get is all about, you know, we know what, what they're willing to sacrifice and, and how hard they're willing to, to push. Um, 
But, you know, it's not that tough. And, and I always go back to the example of me being at Iowa State. As much as people talked back in 2012 about me needing a special set of guidelines and I was trying to be treated special and um, I was just, a, a you know, a pompous brat kind of. The reality is, is I went through a whole season at Iowa State, one where I sat and then one where I played, and we barely had to do anything special for me. Right. Um, so the first thing I do is bring Coach Hoiberg in and say, <laughs> you know, show, show them, show, tell them what you had to do so that they can be a little more eased about what they may have to do. Um, like I said, we, we didn't do really anything much, you know, anything special other than I drove a couple times. And if I was ever feeling anxious, I was able to come and talk to Coach and tell him about it. And our team doctor was involved. And, uh, you know, maybe I needed some medication to get some extra sleep because I hadn't been getting enough sleep or maybe I needed some medication to um, calm down nausea, which is another effect of anxiety before a big game. Um, but all very little things that aren't really, you know, cost high. Right. Um, and I think that that fear of that cost is what's uh, standing in the way between. Um, well, that is going to be the question at the end of the day. What's the cost? Is, yeah, the, the question is going to yeah. be if players have mental health issues, like do we have to pay them for games that they miss mm-hmm. on mental wellness issues? What, what should the position of the Players Association see, be on see, that? that is that to me is the most puzzling of this whole situation. Um, and and the, the person I look to um, for a demonstration on this is Derrick Rose. Mm. Um. He missed a whole season or, or a good portion of a season with a, with a knee injury. And even when the doctor said that he was okay to come back, he himself said that he didn't believe in his knee, right? And I, I'm not sure, but I, I'd like to know whether they fought against paying him still. Right. right? It's almost like if, if you break your ankle, it's, of course we have to keep paying you because you were hurt on the job. You know, and, and it's not even a question whether you keep getting paid if you have a physical injury, um, you know, while you're sitting out. But for some reason, Larry Sanders, you know, says he wants to go deal with his mental wellness. And it's like, oh, well, we definitely can't pay you for not being here. Right. You know, I, I would have liked to see players like Larry Sanders or, or, you know, maybe it's not a guy needing a whole year to get more mentally healthy. Maybe it's a week. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's two weeks. The same thing if you have a bad back or you just twisted an ankle or, you know, um, you're having vision problems or whatever it is, you know, whether you pay a guy, if it's a medical condition, you should pay the guy. Right. And, and you know, I, I keep thinking of that as two weeks that LeBron took off before the Cavs' recent winning streak. And it's like, come on now, LeBron being actually hurt. I mean, that to me was totally about his mental wellness, you know, stress of the season, needing to just recharge his batteries. And yet it would and what what a step forward it would have been if LeBron had said that instead, instead of just being like, yeah, uh, I strained my leg. And please, LeBron, never been. Yeah, hurt in I mean, he, if he just said, look, <laughs> the season's been long. I don't know about this coach. I need a break. I, and I don't think that that guy should be penalized for needing to recharge their batteries. Exactly. Wouldn't it make for such better basketball? if we took into account the need for guys to recharge their batteries. Um, I think that it, it would just be an improvement for the NBA to um, take this step forward in the area of mental health um, and, and the collaborative, uh, the collaboration that exists between that and physical health, and we'll realize a whole new holistic health. Has Adam, Adam Silver reached out to you? Uh, I plan on getting Adam in a room sometime this month, so we'll really? see. Yeah. Wait, that's not the same as him reaching out to you, though. No, he, no, he won't reach out to me. I'm okay. going to reach out to him, though. You're going to reach out to oh, him? Oh, yeah. 
That's I like important. Adam. I like Adam, though. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, he seems like someone one could actually talk to. Yeah. Unlike yeah. Uh, a certain predecessor he had, yeah. whose yeah. name rhymes with Shmavid Shmurn. But look, we're going to go to break, and when we get back, we just have a couple minutes. And all, all I really want to know is, is what your future plans are for Royce White, because I think that's what our listeners want to know, too. We'll be back. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin. Uh, wrapping up the show, Edge of Sports, Royce White. I think our listeners are wondering this. I'm wondering it too. Dude, you're 23 years old. So young. What's next for Royce White? What's your plan? I'm going to play. You want to play again? Yeah, I, I never stopped wanting to play. Um, I think there's, there's a misnomer out there that I walked away from the game somewhere along the line of what Larry did, but I was just playing at the end of last season with Sacramento. Right. If they would have kept me, I would have stayed. Um, and uh, I want to play, and I'm going to play. Um, you know, if, if if all teams think that they can't use my services, you know, then that then so be it. But I'm going to continue to – Would you consider D-League or overseas? Yeah, yeah. Was, was that yeah, no, we're going to do some of that. We're going to do wow. some of that. There's a lot of things on the table, obviously, in terms of the concerns of the mental health policy. With the support of the union, and, and hopefully I'll be able to talk to Adam soon, um, I think I feel comfortable – playing while we work that out i'm not trying to hold the league hostage to i'm not playing unless unless there's a policy um i think that just having the people at the table who believe that a policy is needed will be good enough in the interim so that we can uh and michelle roberts is she supportive on this yeah she's successful i just talked to her within this last month and so she said mental health is one of her biggest priorities so we'll see so, we'll so you are all on board with Michelle Roberts, new head yeah. of the MBPA. Yeah, that's fantastic. And and your agent, uh, does he say that there's there's some interest if you're going to come back? Uh, there's a lot of question marks about me. I mm-hmm. think that you know the media. Does Larry make it easier or harder him coming out like this? I don't know. I mean, it, it it's it's hard to say. I think the big thing on me was people actually thought that I didn't want to fly. Wow. And uh, that's so weird to me because I flew and I was at <laughs> Iowa State. All season, and then I flew for every team I was a part of, like mm-hmm. in Houston, Summer League, Philly. I flew with in the preseason, and I even flew to Sacramento to get to my two ten days. Um, but uh, you know, the media can take a, a storm and blow it around. Let's be clear, everybody: listen and listen loud and listen good. Royce White wants back in the NBA. And Royce can and can play. Oh, that's never been a question. The real question is what team is going to have the courage to meet him halfway and make it happen. Royce, thanks so much for joining us on Edge of Sports. Thanks for having me, Dave. Uh, for Coach Kevin McNutt, I'm Dave Zirin. We are out of here. Peace. Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.